Welcome to another episode of the Introverted Loudmouth Podcast. I am Dr. E. Michelle Mickens, your leadership doctor and host. This podcast answers questions and addresses concerns that matter to leaders nationally and around the globe. It's here where I will discuss topics and issues that encourage out-of-the-box thinking, challenge mindsets, and empower you with a fresh approach problems. I will have subject matter experts, authors, and speakers share insights on how they have successfully overcame their obstacles and show you how to do the same. The Introverted Loudmouth Podcast is designed to excel, educate, empower, and expand you. It's about the Be For Real experience. Real is an acronym, and it stands for Reliable ethical, authentic learner, real leaders, real producers, and real results. Listen, I'm so excited to have a very special guest who I also call my friend. I want to welcome Charmaine E. Betty Singleton, a.k.a. CBS, to the show. Are you here? Yes. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Can you hear me? Oh, yes. I hear you clear. And it sounds wonderful. It's good to hear your voice. How are you this morning? I am doing fine. And how are you? I am doing well. Thank you. Thank you. And again, thank you for joining me on the Introverted Loudmouth Podcast. You're welcome. I'm so happy to be here. And I am just ready to share um, what I have to offer today. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, I want to share a little bit of your background with the listening audience. I, you know, I knew very little. And as I read through your, your bio, I said, she is so phenomenal. And you're very humble. So I think, you know, I just thank God for the opportunity to meet someone who operates in a spirit of humility because you, my dear, are amazing. Let me just share a little bit. You are, I have here, a best-selling and award-winning author, advocate, veteran, entrepreneur, designer, lawyer, transformational coach, and international speaker extraordinaire. Um, Charmaine is also the CEO and the owner of PTK Enterprises, LLC. She. This is a business focused on supporting other business owners, community activism, and empowering individuals to greatness. Additionally, Charmaine is the owner of Victorious Vibes radio station housed on CIBN. Charmaine is an avid lover of God and all people, and that comes through very clearly. So before we get into the topic of today, I want to ask you, why did you become an employment labor law attorney? Well, that is just a part of the one many things that I do um, as working in the military. So um, mm. as veteran, and when you're in the military, you really don't have a choice all the time where they're going to place you or 
things of that nature. So I have done a lot of things throughout my career, whether it's been a defense attorney, uh, a prosecutor, um, a contract law attorney, family wow. law in certain cases. So you um, get in and you fit in and you do your best that you can. And the military is a wonderful place for anyone in that aspect because you learn so much. And then when you leave, you have a lot to offer um, an employer. My goodness. I really never knew that. I appreciate learning just that tidbit from you. That's great work. That's great work. Well, listen, let's this slide into today's topic. I named this particular episode, The Elephant in the Room Just Got Bigger. How do you think about that? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is um, true. Um, and it gets bigger every day. Every because, day. Okay. Yes. Well, I was just going to say, because 2020 has revealed to us the importance of value and the, tr uh, the importance of truth and transparency. And we know we're still working through a lot of the whole wear a mask, not wear a mask. You know, all, all of these issues that are ar has arisen as a result of COVID-19. But even in the midst of all of the, the concerns, we know we've learned a lot about ourselves, right? We've learned and we're still learning what's in us truly will come out of us. The good, the bad, and the ugly, right? Right. In, in the midst of this pandemic, there's pandemonium, there's panic, and then there's the protest. And so leaders are forced to deal with what's being revealed. And racism in the workplace, it has to be addressed. We are seeing more and more corporations and organizations, in addition to nonprofit organizations and leaders, they're stepping up and they're saying, you know what? I'm gonna take a stand against this, but as the elephant is getting bigger, it's time less to talk about it and it's time to take a bite out of this elephant, right? Right, and <laughs> so. basically, yes, because I think we always have been talking about it, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Now it's the time to put that talk, so to speak, into the walk that talk yes. that action. And I think that's what people have been waiting for throughout this time. Um, we have a whole lot of policy letters and, you know, um, touchy-feely, goody <laughs> kind of stuff, so to speak. Yes, if I can yes. say it the way my mama would um, say it. You That's know, right. You, you kind of pretty up the um, <laughs> topic or you throw, you know, a bonus here or there to someone and you say, okay, I addressed the issue and you think people are happy. And um, I think a lot of the times people get complacent uh, with that because they did not know if they really had a voice or when they used their voice, they were um, afraid of retaliation, yes. so to speak. So yes. they settled for the window dressing and we never really got to discussing the wound or the hurt or the situation that was happening from job to job to job. Mm -hmm. Oh, you are so on point. And one thing about 2020 and, and the climate that we're in, it's as if the Band-Aid has been removed. You can no longer try to uh, fabricate or, you know, do the, you said window dressing. We call it greenwashing in the sustainability world where you can't just 
say, okay, we've addressed this. We have our DNI officers in place and we have this in place and consider it a done deal. Absolutely not. You know, uh, I've done a couple of episodes prior about microaggressions and various forms of prejudices and biases. And so today I'm hoping that we can kind of delve in and talk a little bit more uh, succinctly about discrimination, especially in the line of work that you are doing. You can help reveal more truth about what people need to do to make sure that their policies, you know, the verbiage is correct. Because I know people think that they have it together until a lawsuit hits and then they realize how unprepared they really are. So our goal today uh, for the listening audience is that we want you to avoid unnecessary, you know, lawsuits. There are certain things that you should have in place. There's a language that needs to be clear so that you can be protected. And more importantly, or just as importantly, you want to protect your employees. So with that being said, one so, of the, well, go ahead, please. I, go ahead. I, I'm sorry. Yeah. So, cause you made me think before you get to the policy, mm -hmm. um, I think you have to have the right people in place to actually write the policy, review the policy, and then in their mind, envision the policy in real time, so to speak. Because a lot of time we don't understand if that policy is right or wrong Relevant. until we have to go to court or we have to justify that policy. And the reason why we may not have the policy reviewed in the right sense because if you have people that are not of a diverse background or mm -hmm. do not have diverse people to review the policy then you're thinking in a vacuum well said well said i agree 110 percent. it's critical to have the right people in place and so it matters who's at the table is Correct. what I'm hearing. It matters who's at the table. Now, yeah. let's back up even a little bit more because the first question that I want to ask you, just again for our audience, is what is an employment labor law attorney? What's your primary function? Go ahead. The primary function of our labor law um, attorney is basically to represent the interests of that organization um, that they belong to, whether it's Nike, whether it's, you know, in a military setting, whether it's Walmart or something of that nature, or just a, um, uh, um, a nonprofit, so to speak. That person is trying to ensure that the policies, the laws that um, govern that corporation, that agency um, is in compliance with the laws of the county, the state, the government, mm -hmm. and things of that nature. So when you're talking about um, sexual orientation, gender, um, and different things of that nature, how does that organization actually um, protect the rights of all people within their organization and really walk out, as I said before, dignity and respect for all? Mm. Oh, my goodness. So well, it's in the hiring practices. It's in the bonuses. It's in the vacations. It's in the maternity leaves. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, different things of that nature. The policies that you put in place to protect those people that are working um, for you, but also to put them on notice too as well that if you, you know, make that wrong comment over the um, 
water fountain or mm-hmm. in the break room or things of that nature and somebody overhears it, what do we do as an agency to address it? I love it. So there is a lot of um, preventative measures that could take place before someone needs to pull out that policy and say, you know what, these are the things that you violated. Right. So basically what should happen is once a person is hired, they Mm -hmm. should um, get an onboarding, so to speak. And during that time frame, not only are there um, filling out the benefit forms and the insurance and different things of that nature, but also what are the rules and regulations or the policies in place that governs that agency? You know, what should they wear? Should they be wearing, you know, um, a shirt with uh, um, slogans on it that may be inappropriate that affect other people in the uh, workplace? Or whether or not they can wear jeans. Um, A thing that we have seen over their last, I think, three years or so, and now you see it in um, different agencies, is when you're talking about women's hair. A lot of times in the the past, that was a problem because you had to dress a certain way and do certain things. And the argument was that people were losing their identity or they were being discriminated against um, based on um, their hair or their dress or different things of that nature. Now you cannot discriminate against um, a person um, because of the way they wear their hair, whether it's in an Afro, whether it's kinky, whether it's in dreads, whether it's um, permed, whether it's straight, all of those different things come into um, consideration, but we should not ever have to have gone there. But if you don't have people of diverse backgrounds sitting at the table, something that one person thinks that is kinky or unkept may be the cultural norm of another person. And until you have that conversation and you have the right people at the table to articulate the pros and cons of just a simple thing of the crown of one's hair, then um, you have situations like what we had and you had to really go to court and the laws had to change concerning how one can show up Um, in the workplace. So let me digress and just tell a story. Okay. And um, my mother worked at a law firm. And so when she knew that I was going to be an attorney, one of the biggest things she always told me was, you cannot have your hair in braids because um, that sends the wrong message. You're not gonna be able to fit in. And I was like, mommy, I can't wear my hair in braids. That's easy to do, you know. That's an additional five minutes of sleep, you know, so to speak. I can get um, more time to study, to do uh, work over a case or whatever the case may be. Um, It was convenient for me. It was not a statement or anything of that nature, but it was just convenience. But she said, no, that's not acceptable in the workplace. Isn't that something? So fast forward, a couple of years later, I'm coming home and my hair is in braids. And um, I'm afraid of my mother. 
and what she's going to say, <laughs> you know, because she had instilled that. It, but you have to remember where she came from. Yeah. And that's what how she grew up. And she did not want me to feel or endure the same conflict that she had to go through. And so that's what I said earlier when I said sometimes people just became complacent. And Absolutely. they lost their voice and they said, okay, I need to work. I need to have my job. I need to take care of my family. So therefore, maybe this hair thing is not a big deal. But and that, yeah, you're right. That, and that becomes a compromise. It's a compromise. Um, and then you keep compromising right. and you keep compromising. And after a while, you're losing your identity, especially if you're compromising and nobody sees the hurt or what you're giving up, the sacrifice that is a result of that compromise. And I want to mention something that, because basically what actually happens when a woman of color is now ostracized or criticized for how her hair grows naturally out of her head, because if you choose to wear, as you mentioned before, your hair, your natural hair, no one realizes or little is it known that that's a microaggression, you know, because now she's feeling she's done something wrong and this is how she was born. So you're absolutely correct. Then we, we make the changes. It's one thing to say I'm doing this by choice because I enjoy the diversity of hairstyles, but it's another thing when it's imposed on you. And that's what we're talking about, the opinions and the mindset that's imposed because you don't agree with how a person looks, how a person wears their hair, um, and other things that show up in the workplace. So let's go back to one of the things that you mentioned earlier, the onboarding process needs to be very clear about the code of ethics is what I'm hearing. Is that correct? You're talking about the, the need because I, I teach on that as a you know leadership development trainer. One of the pieces that I really hone in on is the importance of having a code of ethics that spells things out. Now, I know we don't we won't have the time to go into detail what a nonprofit organization, and I'm really referencing a church, can say as their code of ethics what is acceptable, the, um, you know, gender, uh, ex you know, what's acceptable as far as gender, because we have so many issues that once upon a time were not an issue. How, let me just ask it this way. One thing that you would suggest, perhaps, that a church could do, because I do have many pastors that listen and tune in, and some of their concerns is, you know what, I'm going to have an issue because some of their, you know, the people that may be, and I won't say it that way, I'll say it this way. We may have a situation where because there is a discrepancy with our beliefs as a church and someone that's in leadership, you know, we may have to say we have to dismiss them or what? I mean, what can they do to protect themselves because there is that clash in, they believe in the Lord, they believe in the Bible, but they also believe in living a lifestyle that's contrary to what is representative in that church. Wow. Ah. Mm, okay. that's, a, um, that's a hard question. Okay. And the reason being is that you cannot prepare for everything. 
um, so to speak, but you try to. Um, but the thing about it is when you're talking about a church setting um, and you look at it in um, different ways, and I'm trying to be careful here. Um, church, most of the times on a Sunday is the most um, segregated time of the week for the most part. And a lot of rules and regulations for that organization um, governs about their belief in um, the Bible, the interpretation and different things of that nature. And it's at times hard to balance um, the, if you wanna say the worldly view of um, bringing everyone together versus different things that are said in um, the Bible. So for example, I would say this, um, homosexuality, that's a big issue. Yes. And the church would have to decide as a body how they want to deal with that. So now let me interrupt just because you're, you're hitting what I was alluding to. However, I'm talking from the standpoint of employment because you're right. I believe that um, when you're in a church setting, um, worship on Sunday, that's one thing. And I don't see where any churches have really gotten into trouble about whether or not someone who is a homosexual can worship in that church. But I'm referring to someone who might be a homosexual and employed in the church. Well, I think it's one of the same because that um, a person that may come into worship may leave because they don't see anyone that looks like them. So, a homosexual? Yeah. How can you look at a homosexual? I mean, and people I, and make and assumptions, but... You can make assumptions, but it's a feeling, it's an um, atmosphere and different things of that nature. So I put it back to the same thing as in um, a lot of times as African-Americans, Latinos, um, Asians, and other um, ethnic groups. When you walk into a room and you look around and you're the only one there, it's a choice for you to make whether or not you're gonna stay there or you're, you're gonna leave. Um, especially if you're hired into that situation. Sometimes right. you may say, I'm going to stay there for, you know, maybe six months to a year, maybe three years. I'm going to get what I can get and then I'm going to leave. So it's the same thing as when you have um, your board in of employees or your board of direction or everything like that nature. And especially in a church setting too, what is your audience? Who are you trying to attract? And who do you want, you know, uh, within your corporation, your church, or whatever the case may be? And then the thing about it that you have to look at, all right, um, on a lot of the state and um, county rules, regulations, laws, policy, am I discriminating against race, gender, sex, sexual orientation, and different things of that nature. You know what? I, and, I appreciate that. I, right. I, you you I, have to balance that because um, some if you do not hire someone, then they may have a lawsuit against um, the church. 
because you did not hire me and I understand what your uh, mission may be and what the Bible says, but I'm a good person. I can be the youth pastor. I can be on the um, uh, board of uh, trustees. I can, um, you know, work. Um, in the back office as admin, um, just answering the phone or whatever the case may be. I think, you know what? And I do have some more, some more questions I want to ask you. So I can appreciate this because I do know that many churches are reviewing, you know, their policies, their code of ethics, because I do believe that they felt there's some exemptions where they can spell out, you know, we don't allow this. We don't, you know, support that. So that is a, that's interesting. Those are some things that I hope even those, those uh, who are listening can take into consideration in terms of who they're hiring to fill certain positions. Um, because again, the church should be able to say, because we have biblical principles, anything that goes against this and they spell it out clearly, then, you know, you will not be considered for employment here or we would not be able to have your wedding here or whatever the circumstance may be. I do understand that um, that can be a very uh, tenuous situation. So I didn't I really wasn't trying to, uh, you know, open up. I know that that is a can of worms all by itself a whole different elephant of a different color if you yes, will. yes. <laughs> so i do know that and you know that popped up because when i sat on um a board of my you know a church that was one of the things that came up as a question because we knew of another church that was experiencing some challenges in that area but right. listen we're going to move on to the next one because um i think that this is this ties in as well. And that is, for me, I just was curious, are you seeing many discrimination cases since COVID-19? Well, it's hard to say discrimination because of COVID-19, okay. but it, I think it's um, highlighted more, so to speak, because mm. you have um, first responders and essential workers. And then you're balancing um, that, especially if you're talking about um, a diverse culture or whatever the case may be. A mm -hmm. lot of times the first responders and the essential workers happen to be people of minority. Okay. Um, or you have a lot of women. And depending on what sector you're looking at, you have a woman that has children. Now, how do you balance trying to be a first responder, mission essential worker, and you have to now keep your child at home because they can't go to school? Right, right. So that sets up a lot of conversation that people may have to have on a case-by-case -case basis. Where do I put my child now? Because the person that normally would take care of my child is my mother or my aunt. Mm. Um, however, as COVID was first starting, my mom or my aunt may be 65 years old or older. Do I want to risk their lives um, by having them, you know, um, babysit my child uh, while I am trying to work? You're right. Those are some big, 
overarching questions. What, right. has, what has been your experience in, in these situations? I think for the most part, as COVID-19 is um, still going on and in talking to other people, um, especially in the human resources field and everything, mm -hmm. I believe each case is being addressed on a case-by-case -case basis. And I believe corporations now are trying to um, manage and work with people. However, it's hard to manage and work when um, your business is being closed down, opened, right. reopened, closed yes. down again, and then you may have to uh, furlough people. My um, and when you look at across the board right now, I don't really think it matters if you're black, white, Mexican, Chinese, what right. you is affecting people across the board. That's right. That's right. So um I don't I don't see there may be cases of discrimination, but I don't believe that they're that um pervasive. I think it's affecting people across the board because we have to manage so many issues right now as related to COVID nineteen. Okay. Um, it's so many dynamics that you have to address. Like I said, the health issue, the childcare issue, um, the um, going to work issue, um, uh, and all of those different things kind of co are converted together. But nine times out of 10, when you're talking about discrimination and looking at your policies, how do you address that? person that is a single mother or a single father too because we have single um fathers out there too as well mm -hmm. uh, with your policies and your um code of ethics so to do you make it a place that is welcoming to um people that are just trying to do the best that they can under the circumstances um i believe nike tried to address it in the best way while um by having a daycare um center within their organization now mm -hmm. not all of us can have that but those right. are the kind of things that we can think about thinking outside of the box to address the concerns of our work um force to, um, and that's one thing we can have a code of ethics we can mm -hmm. have the rules and regulations and policies in place depending on your organization but how many times do we take that rule or that policy off the shelf and um, update it based on circumstances or changes within your community, within the population of people that you hire. If it's an all-male workplace, you may not have to worry about childcare. But the more that you hire women and um, they have children and they may be single moms or it could be um, a, a couple that they're both working. How do you address those issues? And so I believe that code of ethics or the policies, rules and regulations that are in place, they should be living documents and not documents that we write, put on the shelf, and then we forget about them. I agree 110%. I, I'm seeing, which is part of the reason for the discussion today, is that many organizations have been forced to blow the dust off of their strategic plans, their policies and procedures. They're revamping everything because one, they've been forced to have time to do that. So anything, you know, in the past where they used to could blow it over, many because of the lockdown, they're like, you know what? 
And because of the issues that are arising as a result of COVID-19, they've been forced to. So, you know, looking for the good in the midst of all this pandemonium, we can say organizations are meeting more. They're having conversations. They're asking those questions. How are you feeling? How are you doing? You know, what can we do? And they're engaging the people that's going to be impacted the most. And that is the employees. They're having these open dialogue because they know what was what was working in the past or may not have been working. What they were doing in the past is not going to work in the season that we're all in now. So I can definitely appreciate what you're saying. It's time. If you haven't done so already, you have to. You have to address all of the because the elephant is still there and it is growing as you said earlier and i was referring to one specific part of the elephant but whatever it is in your organization if you've been accustomed to leaving things or ignoring things leaving them on the shelf or you know picking and choosing the low hanging fruit now it's time that the whole tree is addressed because right. we cannot <laughs> ignore because this is the thing People are feeling like they have a voice now. You touched on this earlier, Charmaine. There was a time when people weren't speaking up. They weren't, you know, they were feeling like I have to be complacent and some felt complicit. But now they're seeing, you know what? My voice does matter. I'm speaking up. And they're remembering things that weren't working. Those conversations are coming up via Zoom or whatever it is that, you know, is the alternative to the workplace. But my concern is that if we don't address that culture, because culture eats strategy for breakfast, we know that. Um, that's what Peter Drucken said. Um, we have to make sure that we are being proactive. Yeah. We have to, yep, right? We have to make sure that we aren't allowing dust bunnies to, you know, grow in an area where you're going to become obsolete. Right. Bottom line, you'll become obsolete. And the complaint is on the way. Trust me, go ahead. Right. And so the same thing in any organization, when you have your business plan or your vision board or whatever the case may be, we tweak it, right? Yes. It's the same thing when once you tweak the vision, you know, then you have to look at your code of ethics then you have to look at your rules and regulations that govern the code of ethics, your policies that you have in place. And as you're tweaking the top, then you have to, like you said, the low hanging fruit, but the things in between too as well, because it doesn't make sense that you change the vision and you don't change the rules that apply to the support. Vision. That's right. right. That support the foundation. And a lot of times as managers or CEOs, owners, um, uh, people in leadership, we forget to do that. And the and the biggest thing in forgetting to do that is because we do not check the pulse of our organization. Yeah. And in checking the pulse, and you hit it right on the um, head, is having that communication, that dialogue back and forth. Well, it's critical. It's critical, right? Yes. 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 So, you know, as we wrap this down, and I honestly, you know, the more you share, the more, you know, ideas are popping up and, and concerns and questions. But I want to make sure that the audience know they will have a way to connect with you. 
I have your phone number, I have your email address, I have your website. So we'll make sure that that information will be in the description of this episode. This has been a great topic. Charmaine, I can't thank you enough for just enlightening us. And hopefully you guys are stimulated because um, perhaps you thought I'm in good standing. I've dotted my I's, I crossed my T's. But again, this is a new day. Conversations that you may not have had in the past, it's time to have today. Because you want to be prepared. You want to be proactive. You do not want to get caught off guard you know, you're not going to have all the answers. You're not going to be able to write every single policy for every little situation. Absolutely not. But you want to have these conversations that's going to impact the culture of your organization. If you have not reopened or you have reopened, but you have not had the one-on-one or even the group conversations, it's time to sit down and you take the initiative, CEO. You open up the dialogue you begin to ask them if this is a concern as it pertains to racism. No one likes to talk about it. Those who have to deal with it like to talk about it the least. But it's a subject that has to be addressed and talk about other areas of discrimination. We didn't go into depth, but there are layers that go under the radar until an issue arises. And so You want to be the lead voice. You want to be the loudest voice. You don't want all of your employees to come up against you. You want to demonstrate to them how much they matter to you and initiate this dialogue. Am I right, Ms. Charmaine? Yes. um, What I envision is, and I love sports, so my analogy Mm. is a (laughs) football team, basically. And um, you have a coach and you have a playbook and you see that you're losing. And sometimes <laughs> you have to rework, you know, the playbook, reorganize your strategy right there while the game is playing. And that's what's happening right now. Yes. And right now, right sometimes now. you have to take that break, you know, and at halftime, you have to go in and say, I know we practice this and everything like that, but all right, I'm going to sit down this quarterback and put in another quarterback or whatever the case may be. And that's what an organization is, is yes. basically you have a structure, you try to follow it the best as you can, but there are times that you have to say this playbook, it has to go out the door. You know, on, I have to take on. a TV timeout. You know, I have to regroup some of my, you know, um, officers or my leaders. Um, yes. I have to get rid of some of them too as well. So we can win. That's right. So the team as a whole can win. And, and you are on it. Go ahead. You are yes, on it. And as the coach, as the CEO, as the owner, you cannot be afraid to make those decisions and have the, because in the huddle, that's a conversation. You know, at right. the, um, when they take a break, that's a conversation. And the whole team is talking, you know, trying to figure out what we need to do. Uh, man, are you getting hit? Okay, that person, you know, that's the blind side over there. You know, I- I'm tired right now, coach. Can you take me out? But I promise you I'm coming back in. Those are the kind of conversations that's that we right. have. 
That's and it's good. the same thing we have in the workplace. And when we do that and when we actually have the conversation and listen and put the right people in the right places and reward them. That's another thing. Reward yep. them yes. for their loyalty to the team. We will all make it to that end zone together because we'll celebrate in victory. We'll have that touchdown and say, yes, we won the Super Bowl. Mm. That is fantastic. I love that analogy. And you're absolutely right. In order to win, we have to know how to come together and we have to listen to every player. Yes. We want everyone to know that they are valuable and their input is needed and necessary. So on that note, again, I thank you, Charmaine, for your time. I thank you for investing in the listeners. We have your contact information. I'll make sure that it's in the description of this episode. And then I want to mention to you guys, I know we have hit you with a lot of information, but listen, my question to you is, are you ready to be real? I mentioned before, real is an acronym. It stands for reliable, ethical, authentic learner. And one of the things that I know is extremely important that you are constantly trained that you are training your teams, that you're training, that you yourself, you're receiving training. So I just want you to know, Live for Change, that's the name of my organization, Live for Change LLC. We offer a comprehensive training system and it's called the Be For Real Leadership Series. We offer virtual classroom style training. We have videos as well as in-person training. The training is available for nonprofit organizations as well as churches and corporate training. Topics such as ethical leadership, corporate social responsibility, inclusion, diversity, organizational cultural change, personal leadership development, and more are just a few of the topics that I train on. I customize the training programs to meet your specific development needs. So let's have a strategy session. I'll make sure that in the description of this episode, I will include my contact information. There's no reason not to be well-trained as we all pursue and move forward in 2020 as never before. We're not going to be defeated. We're not laying down. We're going to continue to stand strong, right? That's the goal. That's the focus. And so again, I can't thank you all enough for tuning in. This broadcast will be here so you can always come back to it and enjoy it and know I care about you. Our guests care about you. We want to see you grow and excel. So until next time, be safe, be wise, and be for real. Thank you.